Hey, everybody, welcome to the Grab the Map podcast, where we don't just look at it, we grab the map. I'm John Crutchfield, and we like talking about all things real estate investing. Uh, exciting podcast slash interview for you today. I think it's going to really bless you. Got Jeff Stevens on the line. Hey, Jeff, are you there? Yes, sir. I'm right here. Man, let's, let's hop right into this because I've been trying to get you on the phone and Man, you you protect your time, so we're gonna talk about that. But uh, I, I definitely wanted to have a conversation with you, and and you you've got my attention now, so I'm excited. I'm gonna learn learn something from you, and and hopefully we can share something with the audience. How's it going? It's going great. It's going great, and I appreciate you wanting to chat. And uh, I will say I've not always been good at protecting my time. It's it's more of like a recent. Uh, uh, recommitment to trying my best. So, <laughs> hey man, he he's really good at protecting his time. You know, I, I tell you the, the funny story. I, I try to get him on the phone just to get him to call me, and I, I was very very aggressive. I felt like I was trying to get a girl to go on a date, and uh, he was like, "No, no, no." And then we we <laughs> saw that we had some common interest and decided to do a podcast together. So this is actually our first conversation. If I if I seem like I'm blushing, I probably am. Well, I'm enjoying our first date so far. So, <laughs> all right, very, very good. Hey, tell me a little bit about what you've got going on. Um, I see you've got a social media presence, but maybe tell us a little bit about your business. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I've been, you know, doing real estate investing for quite a while, and then about two years ago, I started slowly transitioning towards figuring out how I could help other people. So that started with creating a podcast and then, you know, Facebook group and some other things kind of along those lines to find a way to spread the message. But I think, you know, what message am I spreading, I guess, is maybe, maybe the, the question. I just believe a lot in, in um, sitting down face to face with the people that you want to buy properties from. I mean, it, real estate investing is this huge world, right? And there's a million different flavors. There's a million different, uh, aspects of it. And the part that always gets me going the most is the, the acquisition process. And within the, the uh, subcategory there of acquisition, I just, I think I ha- I've developed a belief that the greatest possible chance of both parties getting the best outcome happens when they get to talk one, one-on-one face-to-face without translators, without intermediaries. And I know not everybody agrees with me on that, but that's that's what I've come to believe. And I like that. I really like just sitting down in someone's living room and seeing if we can't work out something that works uh, really well for both of us. Yeah, I, I totally, totally agree with you. Um, your materials online, are you the thoughtful real estate entrepreneur? Yeah, exactly. Very, very thoughtful comment just then. So, you know, no brokers, no middlemen, you'd like to be direct to seller. Yeah, absolutely. I, I feel like it, it puts um, it puts to work some of my better skills or strengths, but I also really believe it just it, it can lead to the best possible outcomes for everybody involved. Awesome. Awesome. I, I, t- I totally agree. Some of my best deals have come uh, direct to seller. Absolutely true. Uh, tell us a little bit about your portfolio and what your real estate business looks like right now. Yeah. So I'm kind of more of a, a long-term hold kind of person. I, I've been a full-time investor since 2013 and did a little bit part-time for several years before that. So since 2013, I've, you know, primarily bought long-term holds, but I'm not afraid to mix in there a few flips, maybe even a couple wholesale deals occasionally. My heart is really in long-term holds, 
But mm-hmm. um, because I am trying to, you know, make a living as well as build something for the long term, I, I am open to shorter term deals as well as longer term deals. So I'm out in Oregon. Um, we've got, you know, I guess prices and whatnot are very relative to markets across the country. But I think a lot of people would consider where I am kind of on the expensive side of things. So um, yeah, we have about, I think, 38 or so rental units. Um, uh, it's about, I think it's probably about $11 million total kind of like value, I guess, just to sort of put it in context. It's one of the things that's so funny about talking to people in this business is like, you can talk to somebody who's got 140 units in one area and that's the equivalent of like, you know, seven units downtown San Francisco. And so it's very hard to like have any context for that. But anyway, yeah, that's what I do. I think that's a good way to, to, to kind of explain it. Like you're actively doing deals. You definitely are holding property right now. Um, and, and that's, that's a great thing when, whenever, you know, I'm talking to somebody is I want to, I want to know that you are active and that you're still doing, uh, I know you're doing a lot of education as well. Um, but it's always good to have somebody who's, who's educating you, who is actually in the business. And so I hear that right away. What got you started in real estate investing? Well, you know, I think my, my initial story is probably not too different than a lot of people. I read that, uh, that book with the purple cover. Uh, and the word dad in it twice. <laughs> the Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert <laughs> Kiyosaki. Yeah, that's the one. Got me all fired up. This is, I mean, it's a long time ago now. It's the early 2000s. And I'm a, I'm a pretty good action taker kind of guy. So we, we had just, uh, my wife and I bought our own primary residence maybe a year or so before that. But Rich Dad, Poor Dad got my, got my wheels turning a bit. So started trying to figure out how we could, you know, buy an investment property. And we, we had, purchased our primary residence at a, at a good time in a good location. So we'd seen some kind of quick value change and appreciation. So we um, extracted some equity from that in the form of a HELOC and went and bought our first deal, which is a triplex, very mundane deal kind of now that I think back on it, very, not, not very much like what I would do today, but it was very traditional. Like it was on the market. I went to a bank and got a loan and, and uh, did, did it. Did you use a realtor? I did. I know. I can't yeah. believe it. Look, look, who am I talking to here? So you <laughs> went know. through the process. I'm so glad you said that because that's actually who I recommend, like using a realtor, people that are doing a deal for the first time, whether it be their first home or their first investment property. A lot of times having that guide the first yeah. time can be pretty helpful. So yeah, absolutely. that's exactly what you did. Yeah, it totally is. And I, I try to be cognizant of that as I'm, uh, advocating for evangelizing about the idea of just sitting down with people in their living rooms. I, I definitely realize that the first time you do something, it's going to be a little scary. So I don't think there's any, any problem at all with, with, uh, with that. I'm glad that I don't do it that way today, but I'm also glad that I did it that way then because simply it got me started, you know, and like there's that expression, you can't steer a parked car. So sometimes you just have to get started no matter what the means is really. Absolutely. Sometimes you just got to got to get going. So when you bought that first investment property, did you plan to scale up or or was there a plan to like just try it out and see if it works, see if it would work? Yeah, I think I was planning to scale, although my thoughts about scale probably are different now than they were at the time. I definitely did not see it as just a, a one time endeavor. I saw that definitely just as the, the first of many, but um, I didn't, I, I can't say I saw the whole path in front of me in exactly that moment. I was kind of just focused on getting the first one done. Absolutely. So you got that first one done, uh, kind of a, a traditional, maybe 20% down purchase, 
use a mm-hmm. realtor. Uh, was it already rented already? It was. Yep. All three units were rented. All I think three one was units about to rented. Over, I think. No yeah. value add, just straightforward. Yeah, really, there was not much value add. No, that's definitely a big difference between mostly what I do today is I would try to find things where I can make make it better somehow. Uh, but yeah, it was straightforward. It gave me a little bit of uh, practice, you know, self-managing, a little bit of practice on the transactional side of things, helped me get a taste for like what I liked and what I didn't like. And and uh, sometimes you just have to you know, get a few at-bats to sort of get your feel for what seems right. Right. So tell me how your your um, investing decisions progressed from there. You did that first deal. It was traditional. Uh, I know. Imagine at some point you you realized there was a different way to do things. So walk us into that. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I picture this pendulum in my mind. So I started way on this one side of the pendulum arc, which was very, very traditional. And then the more I got interested in real estate, the more I started learning, listening to podcasts and, you know, podcasts were kind of new at the time, but this and that, I got exposed to lots of different ideas, things that you might consider to be a little more creative, wholesaling and things like that, that I didn't know about before. I went to a couple conferences and then I'd say my pendulum swung all the way to the other side where I was thinking very much about things like wholesaling and, and bandit signs and all this kind of stuff. And um, so then I started trying to do that, but here's the problem. That stuff didn't feel like me, right? I had like a real... I had a real block mentally because it just did not feel authentic to me and who I am. And so I tried that stuff for a while, but it's like, it didn't go that well. And it took me a while to figure out that it just was, it just didn't feel very genuine to who I am. And uh, it, so then the pendulum starts to swing back a little bit towards the middle. And I'm thinking, well, how do I find my own voice here? I mean, how can I employ some, maybe some creativity and entrepreneurship to it, but with, without, treading into territory that didn't really feel like me. So that's been kind of my journey uh, overall. So it took me, I, I like this expression, find your voice. You know, I think that everybody find has to voice. find their voice within real estate investing or real estate entrepreneurship or heck, even entrepreneurship in general. And it's a little bit of a stumbling around in the dark process. And, you know, you bump into something you're like, oh, that didn't feel good. And then you bump into something else and like, oh, that actually, that feels a little bit better. And then you kind of progress till you're like, oh, I found... I found my voice, you know, I found like the right key that I should be singing in, so to speak. Tell us about the first deal you did creatively that, that kind of helped you think about it that way. Like this might be more in the zone. I call it, you know, that I'm in the zone when I'm doing deals this way. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Um, well, actually, if I can, let me tell you about the one where it was close to clicking, but not quite. And All right, that's I perfect. feel like in my story, like I hit a wall twice. Okay. <laughs> the first wall was a, a wall where I just, I just felt gross about what I was doing. It didn't feel like me. The second wall I hit was, was interesting though. So I had been doing some direct mail and I connected with a seller named Larry and Larry's an older guy and we had great rapport and he had a, a house that he was willing to be involved with the financing and so seller financing. And so I negotiated seller financing with him. And then I started doing the due diligence and I, I discovered that there were some significant physical issues with the property that I didn't uh, anticipate that like foundation problems. Okay. And so as I tried to assess what it was going to take to rectify those, I had to go back to Larry and I said, Larry, you know, we found this, this problem and, uh, I'd like to proceed, but we just have to make some adjustments to, to this transaction because it's just simply not going to work like this because it's a bigger problem than either you or I realized. And he, while he understood that and appreciated it, he couldn't financially kind of get to the point where I needed him to be in terms of price. 
And so I had negotiated the seller financing and, but we couldn't come to terms on the price. And so I had to let it go. And I was really disappointed because I felt like, you know, the rapport building side of Jeff, or do, this is, this is working. Like, this is what I should be doing. I'm sitting in this living room. I'm listening. I'm working out a creative solution, but then this deal fell apart and I was super bummed. So a few months later, um, I have some friends here in town who are uh, educating people on real estate investing and they were doing a bus tour. So they throw a bunch of people on a bus, drive them around to a bunch of different projects, properties, deals, and sort of tell the mini case study of each one. I, I threw myself in that bus with them. The last stop of the day, we pull up in front of Larry's house and I am just like, oh my gosh, no way. I mean, no way. two million people live in this town. We're in front of Larry's house for crying out loud. Like, wow, what a coincidence. And my friend proceeds to tell this story about how he negotiated seller financing and then they found these you know, foundation problems. So then he employed all these other creative tools like substituting the, the collateral for the note. And then he was going to resell the property to another flipper because he didn't want to do the project by wrapping the existing financing. And he was, he was explaining this and I was just looking at him with my jaw on the ground in this blank stare like, dude, are you speaking Chinese right now? Because like, I don't understand a word you're saying. Right. And in that moment, you know, after, after he was done explaining that, I went up to him and I said, Mike, I had this property in contract. I found these problems. I had to let it go because I, I didn't know what to do with it. And frankly, you just explained it and I still didn't understand. Mm -hmm. And he looked at me and he said, Jeff, if you want to be as good at this sport as I think you do, you need to learn some of these deal structuring techniques. And he pointed me in the right direction and I it connected me with a mentor and I was off to the races after that. But it was that, that deal where I hit a wall. It was so frustrating because I felt like I was finally doing something that felt right to me, but right. I didn't have the technical toolbox to make it happen. Absolutely. So you, you definitely were building rapport with the seller. You liked, liked that. You were helping the seller solve a problem. You really liked that, but maybe still needed some of the technical expertise, some of the mentorship. Uh, and I, I've remembered several scenarios like this where folks mention a way of getting a deal done. And I'm like, wait, say that again, like say it three times. So let me write it down. Let me figure <laughs> out what it is you're saying. And when they say it, it's just like matter of fact, like they do it all the time. Yeah. So that's, that's pretty cool. So you, you uh, almost, almost have an opportunity to have it click there. And then when does it click? So I would say it started clicking shortly thereafter because I realized I realized that there was, there was this technical side of things I needed to learn. And so I started learning that. And what I really realized in that moment was that my perfect version of real estate entrepreneurship for me was a, a perfect mix of left brain and right brain thinking that I needed okay. to have the left brain toolbox, the technical understanding of how to structure deals and that kind of stuff. But I needed to also be able to employ that right brain people oriented side of negotiation and listening and developing rapport. And so shortly after that, I started to kind of shore up the, uh, you know, the technical side of things. And then that's when it started clicking is when I could go into someone's living room. The front stage of me was having a very right brain type conversation with, with them. The backstage of me in the back of my head was having, it was like the computer that was analyzing the situation. Yeah. And those yeah. two things happening simultaneously in concert was when the magic started to happen. Yeah. So now that's your favorite way to get deals done, right? This, this yes. is the only way. This is the only way at this point for me. Yeah. 
do, do you still do you do you still buy things traditionally every now and then or no all <laughs> creative financing yeah i mean i would say the two things are creative financing and and the face-to-face -face negotiation so i literally don't even look at what's on the market yeah. um ever so i have no idea really on that side of things the i've drawn a line in the sand myself for what I'm willing to do financing wise and what I'm not. And so what my definition is not that I will never get a loan from a bank again. It's, it's more that I will never put myself in a position where I am reliant on a bank to say yes for me to get my deal done. So I'm probably much more likely to um, engage a bank in a refinance, you know, than a, than a purchase loan or something like that. But I just decided I never wanted to be yeah, subject to a, a bank's whimsy and whether they think that I am, credit worthy and, and that if I'm growing at the right rate and all that, I just decided to cut that all out of my life. Oh, if, if, if only you were at my lunch just a couple hours ago and who oh, yeah. I was sitting, who I was sitting next to one of those bankers trying to, trying to convince him to let me keep going. So I, I told, I totally get it. Um, I think that your message really will resonate with a lot of people. A lot of our listeners on the grab the map podcast are new investors and they're thinking about like how to get things done uh, they're thinking about how to get things done. And they're thinking like, how do I get things done when I don't always have the money down or I don't always have like lump sums or great credit. They have all of these different scenarios that they're trying to figure out. And you're, you're actually telling us right now that you get deals done without banks. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. All the time. All, yeah. all and I'm the not, time. I should say all the time. I should clarify, like, I, I'm not like a volume kind of person. I mean, I'm not closing seven deals a month or anything. Like that. That's not, that's not my, that's not my game, but I almost never use banks at all anymore. Almost yeah. never. Yeah. Hey, look, look, man, I, I, that's why I've been trying to get in touch with you. Cause see, <laughs> all, all I do is use banks, but lately I have been using, I have been using more creative structures to complement the bank's money. Yeah. And uh, some of my favorite deals have been no bank creative deals. So I, I, I think you're probably addicted to those. Like we all <laughs> kind of fall in a lane and get addicted to, to something. I want to get to ask yeah. you a few more questions before, uh, before, before we kind of push, push here. So why don't you do this? Could you walk us through an example of one of these deals uh, use as many numbers as you like or not like, but could you walk us in, through an example of one of your creative, thoughtful uh, real estate deals? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So let, let me let me go back to one from from last year. Okay, this was a single family home, and I met this seller because I sent him a letter, and that's just what I do. Okay, that's pretty much how I meet all my sellers, actually. This is not your typical we buy houses, fast cash as is kind of offer. This is uh, or letter, you know, it's nothing like that. It's, it's more like, hi, my name is Jeff. Uh, I like your property. Would you ever talk to me about that? Like it, it's very, very simple, very, mm -hmm. very, very low pressure, very kind of relationship oriented. So anyway, seller calls me back and um, we develop rapport very quickly. I see he's a, he's actually a, a writer and a consultant and he's been involved with some book that I've, I'm familiar with. So we, we've got an instant connection point. And we meet at his, at, at his rental house, right? So I pretty much market only to absentee owners because um, okay. <clears throat> I'm looking for people who have a potentially capital gains tax problem if they sell. That's something that kind of greases the, the wheels for um, 
the type of seller financing that I like to do, which would be an installment sale. And so I meet him and he says, I want to sell my rental property and I'm going to buy something out of state. And I go, oh, interesting. You're, so you're going to 1031 into something out of state? And he says, yes. And I start to wonder like, so are you, are you 1031 in, into something out of state because you want to do that? Or do you just sort of feel like you have to do that because you're not excited about paying the tax? He's like, yeah, no, I just don't want to pay the tax. I need a little bit of the money for a project I'm going to work on. But other than that, I just don't want to pay the tax. So I guess we'll do a 1031 exchange. So I'm talking to him and I'm thinking, well, I bet I could redirect this towards another, um, you know, concept that would allow him to defer his capital gains, but without needing to do a 1031 exchange. Oftentimes, you know, when it's a great time to sell a property, it's not, all, not always the same moment that's a great time to buy. So he's not really that excited about buying the next thing. So I say, hey, what if I were to make payments to you over time and we employed the structure of a, an installment sale? It would give you some similar sort of effects in terms of your capital gains tax. You continue to have a, an income and you don't have to go buy another property. He said, great, that sounds perfect. So we, um, we, we put this deal in contract. By the way, is the pace of my story okay here? I don't want to... I think it's, I think it's great. I think it's great. Some other okay. questions are popping up as you go, but I, I'm, I, <laughs> okay. I want to hear, I want to hear this. So I put this property in contract like February, 2020. And what happens, you know, a month later, COVID explodes. And I'm thinking, Ooh, I'm in contract on this property. I have no idea what effect COVID is going to have on the real estate market yet. I mean, the it world could go, changed. Yeah. Yeah. The world changed, you know, pretty much overnight. So we end up extending this deal um, probably five or six times to the point where the overall escrow was about six months now. And I found sort of reasonable reasons to keep extending it from due diligence things, that, things that came up that I, inside my head, I was like, I don't want to close on this property yet. I don't know what's happening to the world, but I had to keep finding, you know, plausible reasons to extend the due diligence without saying, Hey, I'm, I'm scared. So we did that and we get to the end of um, the due diligence period. So I've negotiated now to buy this property for about 300 grand and put $60,000 down. Okay. Now I have learned from the seller that he needs the 60 grand because he needs to work on this other like vacation home that he's got. Okay. But he's telling me, you know, the, the contractors for the vacation home are so backed up. I just need to make a deposit on my work to them, but they can't actually do the work yet. So like a week before closing, I go back to him and I say, hey, you know that $60,000 down payment I'm supposed to make? What if I give you 30 at closing and then I give you 30 within a couple months after that? Because I know you don't actually need all of it because the contractors can't do the work right now. We've been six months in escrow. We've developed tons and tons and tons of good rapport. Overall, we've had so much opportunity to spend time together, right? And he says, yeah, sure, no problem. So my down payment now goes from 20% to 10%. I have to come up with the other 10% shortly. But my plan is to flip the property. I'm going to add a bathroom. I'm going to quickly flip this property. But I've got an excellent piece of long-term seller financing from this seller, right? And if I sell the property, I don't want to give up this amazing financing I've negotiated. Mm -hmm. So what I do is I go back to him and I say, okay, when I sell this property, I would like to substitute the collateral for your loan to a different piece of property that I own because you don't want to get paid off. I don't want to pay you off. If I pay you off, it's going to screw up this whole capital gains tax strategy that you've got. So let me give you a different piece of collateral from my property or from my portfolio rather. And uh, I have this beautiful fourplex over here. It's worth a million bucks. It's got a bunch of equity in it. Let me put your $240,000 note in, um, you know, secured by that property. It'll be junior to some existing debt, but 
let's put you over there. And he says, okay, no problem. So we move that debt off of this little single family house onto the fourplex. And now I've got a property that is free and clear. And I sell the property. It's free and clear. There's no debt to pay off. So I flip the property and I get a huge wire of proceeds coming to me because of the creative debt structure there. Now, I hope I've explained that in a way that's like remotely followable. Uh, but that's kind of a good example of the type of things that I would do. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's, that's brilliant, right? Like you you bring up all kinds of things that that uh, we could we could dive into, but we, we we were limited on time. But you you found your ideal seller, right? You talked about your ideal seller. Um, you mentioned that you look for folks who maybe have a capital gains problem, or maybe they're an absentee owner. You're looking for a single family house, so you kind of have your ideal uh, asset class there. Uh, just so many, so many awesome things here. You talked about like really trying to listen to what the seller needs, right? So what, what is the seller going to do with the money? It sounds like, uh, what is the seller trying to solve? What problem are they trying to solve? Exactly. Um, but you're also, you know, structuring the deal in a way that works for you, you know, substituting collateral, you know, adjusting down payments, all of which you can do a lot easier if you're direct to seller, right? Oh my gosh, yes, like a million times easier. <laughs> yeah, so try asking a bank to to take their down payment requirement down from twenty percent to ten percent or five percent or zero percent, right? All of which are a lot easier uh, when you're dealing with when you're dealing with an actual seller. So I think yeah. that's that's pretty cool. Um, I, I just want to ask a few more questions because I think we we may have to do it do another another one here. Um, so like long-term, do you have long-term goals in REI? I know you said you're, you're not a high volume, uh, real estate, maybe buyer or seller per se, but what is your long-term goal? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. And I mean, transparently, I feel like it's evolving a little bit in, you know, even right in front of my eyes. I mean, I've sort of set an arbitrary number of having, you know, 200 quality units before. I've set, I've set a, an arbitrary number of having a $50 million portfolio. Um, but, you know, as I, as I progress in life, I, I wonder sometimes, like, do I, do I want to adjust those goals? I would say in, you know, like, for instance, in my markets, the way I do business, I'm taking a very balance sheet oriented approach. And where I know there's a lot of people that take a very cash flow oriented approach. And so I've been building my balance sheet, building my equity, but mm-hmm. the types of properties and the location of the properties I own right now are not are not the ones that really maximize one's cash flow, and so I'm certainly in the process of thinking like, well, do I want to start converting equity to cash flow more assertively than I have um, than I have done in the past? Um, I, I sort of think of this as moving from like growth mode to like optimization mode. You know, where I'm really right now, I've I've, I've so far been really focused on growing. Where maybe in the future I'll be focused on trying to convert that growth into sort of monthly income in a slightly different way. Um, But the thing that I know about myself, and I'll just give this, like make this my final bit of my answer. The thing I know about myself is that if I'm not continually kind of exploring like what I'm capable of, I will just shrivel up and I'll get bored in five seconds. And so I know that there has to be some element of like continuing to challenge myself. Yeah. Yeah. The challenge is, is, um, is very important. And 
uh, new goals sometimes is, is are good to set. Reflection is good. I find that happening in my own business as well, like evolving and changing what I want and changing kind of how I want to manage everything. So that's, yeah. that's pretty cool. Um, what, what, like, I guess if, if, if you had to like identify a benefit to real estate investing on your life, what would you say real estate has done for your life? Well, so I, I look at real estate, I think of real estate entrepreneurship versus real estate investing. To me, those are kind of two different things. Um, we use the word investing most commonly, you know, but I think of an investor as somebody who gathers up resources and then finds a vehicle into which to place those resources. Whereas I see an entrepreneur instead as somebody who goes out and creates value, creates an opportunity, and then sources the resources needed to fulfill that opportunity. So I see myself more as an entrepreneur. And, and I, as I look back, even before I was a full-time real estate entrepreneur, I was an entrepreneur in a different industry as well. So as why do I say that? As I reflect on your question, I have to answer it actually as what has entrepreneurship done for your life? And then what specifically has real estate entrepreneurship done for your life? And I've been a, a full-time entrepreneur of some sort for, I only had a real job, quote unquote, for about two years uh, after okay. college. So I've been a full-time entrepreneur now for 18 years okay. and uh, it's given me just a ton of freedom. I would say, I would say honestly that the best part of entrepreneurship, although this is not the part anybody signs up for entrepreneurship to get, the actual best uh, reward of entrepreneurship is the person you become in the process. Okay. You know, like I've, I've been out there swinging the sword in the arena, trying to create my own paycheck for 18 years. And the, the person you become in the process of that is in many ways, the greatest reward. But overall though, I mean, yeah, we've, I've got, I've got a great portfolio of properties that I, I love. I'm proud of all of them. I know I have the, the raw assets there to be able to convert to financial independence when I, whenever I decide to, you know, move from growth mode to optimization mode. Tremendous amount of flexibility. I, you know, I love being able to set my own schedule, even if I choose to set it in kind of a work-like way. Uh, I have right. a tremendous amount of flexibility, and uh, yeah, it's wonderful. Yeah, I can I can see it on your face, and I, I can tell you, you you the thoughtful real estate entrepreneur is is aptly named. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Man, you talked about so many so many things today that I think will will help our audience, but have also helped me just be more thoughtful, um, thinking about how even the creative seller financing deal can also be more creative, right? Or uh, yeah. be structured even in a different way to, uh, to extend the benefits of, of it. So uh, I think if I, I had to say like big takeaways, I should be talking directly to sellers, right? <laughs> in my humble opinion, yes. <laughs> Yes, Especially yes. with your personality, like, come on. I mean, to, to have you stuck behind, you know, a, a computer sending bullet points of an offer over to another person who's going to send offer to another person who's going to send it to the realtor. Like you're so unbelievably personable. Like why, why are we leaving those talents sitting on the bench? I don't get it. I mean, that's, so that's, that's my so, answer. That's so funny. You'd have to know me in person to know how forced this is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really an introvert, but, but surely there's a way to get in touch with you, like outside of, uh, outside of our podcast here. How, how can folks reach you uh, if they want to follow up more with some of your strategies and, and what, what maybe what offerings might you have to, to help somebody trying to get started? Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, 
I think the probably the two best resources I can think of that are easy, accessible. One is my podcast called Racking Up Rentals, in yep. which I uh, talk each each episode about you know these general ideas of uh, being off market and doing seller financing types of deals. Uh, thoughtful philosophy. And then secondly, we have a Facebook group called Rental Portfolio Wealth Builders, where there's a nice, you know, group of people practicing this, um, this approach and uh, coming together, asking questions and supporting each other. So I would say those things are best. Thoughtfulre.com if you'd like to check out our website, but that's, uh, those are some of the best ways. These are great materials. I've listened to your Racking Up Rentals podcast. I've, I'm a member of your Facebook group and, um, just seeing the types of things you post sometimes, I'm like, man, is is are like, are we the same person? It's uh, the way that you are. I would say you're probably way more thoughtful, but um, I, I would say the way that you interact with your community, the way that you respect them and encourage them to participate, um, appreciate their ideas, is just there's a lot of synergy between us in that regard. So, this is certain to help somebody. I appreciate you for coming on the Grab the Map podcast. If there was a closing thought you had to give, what was it? What would it be? I, I would say that the greatest investment you could make would be to invest in your own ability to create agreement with people. Like to me, you, you become so resilient when you have that skill because everything could be stripped away from you. All your properties, all your money, everything could be stripped away from you. But if, if you have developed and honed that skill, you, you will be in the best possible position to start over or continue to grow or, or whatever. So I, I think that that is the thing that I just wish more people would invest in their own ability to go make things happen entrepreneurially in the world, whether you're negotiating to buy a piece of property or anything else, because that's, no one can take that away from you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, that's that's great. This has been a blessing to me and hopefully a blessing to our community. If you've got comments, certainly if you're watching this on YouTube, put those comments below. If you want to reach out, uh, Jeff has provided his contact details. We'd love for you to reach out, maybe join his Facebook group. And as always, you all can reach me at the handle Grab the Map on Facebook or at uh, grabthemap.com. Don't just look at it grab the map.